0: Well, guess what? I'm back, and uh, and I guess I should say welcome to uh, another episode of Radical Humanity. I was like, right then, I was really tempted to do uh, like an echo, and just and anyway, and repeat Radical Humanity. I thought that would be cool, but it'll probably be really cheesy. So, on that note, I will introduce myself. My name is Ben Hoover. And I presently do some marriage and family therapy work as my uh, my main my main role, um, and I get to do this on the side for free, and uh, whenever I want to, so I have I have that luxury, and I I really enjoy it because it's a, it, again it's a forum I've said this probably many times but it's a. It's this forum where I get to really just kind of wrestle through, sort of the, the big, big ideas in life and uh, my own personal story and how, that what I learned from my story and how that fits into the, the uh, the the bigger existential narrative in life. Now, um, as I had mentioned uh, before, this I'm doing a series uh, now um, within within my podcast series. And there's going to be eight of these, and this is the fourth one, and it's talking about the, the beatitudes, which is, um, which is this sort of sequence. I, I say it's a sequence of events that Jesus introduces uh, to humanity when he's on his time on Earth, during his time on Earth. Now, um, here's the thing. This is uh, if if that kind of turns you off. Here's here's where I'm going to kind of hook you maybe not, probably unsuccessfully um, is actually uh, I believe this sequence of events is a progression, a journey of finding our true self. So it's it's a conversion away from uh, from the tribes, from the external world that we fused ourselves with from um, from religion uh, and um, in, in merging or evolving, into who we are and living in the world that way, expressing ourselves and our own personal uh, individual passions and, uh, and purpose and what we enjoy and inviting people to experience what we enjoy, right? Not forcing them, but offering, sharing it with, with the world. Like that's what I think we're, we're being guided uh, to, to discover, and guided to live out of so there's no religion in that. It's actually the stripping of that, um, and so uh, and and so finding who we are. <clears throat> um. So, uh, man, every every episode, I feel like I've got to give some backstory or or more background or go back and summarize the previous three, which I'm I think I'm becoming quite a pro at, uh, but. Uh, um, just, just to let you know, listen to the previous three because they're all in uh, succession to each other. So they're they're sequential. Um, so you know you want to listen to the first one because I think that's how the Beatitudes actually how Jesus constructs it when he talks is it builds off of the previous um, experience. And, uh, and so that's, that's how I'm doing this podcast. That's how I'm talking. That's how I've formed my understanding and how I've written this. Um, So again, I've done uh, personal writing on each of these, uh, each of these little stages. And uh, to find out kind of what it means to me, Uh, looking at the Greek, uh, at some of the Greek wording within the statements, and then, sort of, kind of piecing together through my own framework of uh, my own personal journey, of my own experiential journey, mixed with uh, psychology, such as like attachment, attachment psychology or theory, um, a little bit of psychoanalysis, uh, and um, I think that, and then also using some of the other writers I've listened to. Uh, that I've been impacted by. Peter Rollins really is, uh, not others, just Peter Rollins. I think I've found him to be really uh, such an important, uh, impactful person in my life. <clears throat> so um, so that's how I've kind of am piecing this all together, just to give some background to that. Now, just to summarize, um, in this Beatitude journey, this, this journey of blessing, because right, Jesus starts these statements with blessed. And what he's talking about is those who, are, who actually experience the richness of life. Those who are, uh, who are truly happy. And when we mean happy, we're not talking about in the American sense, in the, the English sense. We're talking about this, this happiness. There's this deep contentment, this, this fulfillment on an internal level. Um, so he's talking about that those that experience this, you're on the right path. To finding true fulfillment and contentment. And, um, and so he starts off with blessed are the poor in spirit, and, um, and, and really how they, I coined that is that one that uh, enters in, discovers that this impoverishment on an internal level, that they've encountered this loss, this meaninglessness. Um, that they possess nothing that that everything they've accumulated in life all the relationships the titles the degrees the food the you know the the um the achievements the the trophies things like that that they 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 um become imbued with this feeling that it just doesn't matter it's impotent right there's this illusion um that surfaces uh, uh over these uh, objects we've attached to, to feel a sense of satisfaction or certainty. And really, it's it, the reason why we've attached to these things, and when I say object, it could be anything. Um, and yes, including God, which I know might throw people off, that we've turned God into an object that we think will cure, cover over our, um, you know, our anxieties. But we do this, right, because there's this, um, at a young age, because we couldn't navigate this, um, uh, well, I'm getting too far ahead of myself. But but because we couldn't navigate this, uh, we were wounded in, and, and we didn't have the help navigating um, uh, this differentiation process from our parents and finding ourselves. We um, we then live with this gap within, and then we start seek. We continue to seek the external world to cover over these uh, anxieties this loneliness that lives inside of us, this feeling of isolation. Um, And so this disillusionment basically is what happens to us, um, meaning the illusion fades, the fantasy fades, this um, inauthentic uh, way of living and being in the world, who we are, um, who we thought we were, begins to um, uh, unravel and dissolve. And then that's followed by then this next... Uh, this next stage, which is blessed, are the, are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. And this mourning process then is in conjunction, or is... is, is um, conjunction? I don't know if that's the right word. But it's, it, it's uh, attached to, linked to uh, this, this poor in spirit, this loss of the, the sacred object and the meaningfulness of it, and what we thought it would provide for us. But so we go through this, this mourning, this grieving um as we awaken uh, to the reality that we've lived in this illusion that we possess nothing that what we've attached to it it's not going to satisfy us um and so i see the grieving process as this this detox um this the sort of detox of the heart that we we end up um, kind of working through sort of, actually, we no longer, we we work, we remove these defenses, is the best way to put it. And we open ourselves up to feeling the pain of having been connected to these false attachments, these things that will never promise lasting fulfillment and certainty, or containment or belonging or whatnot. And so it's a very painful experience of grieving Right, but in that there's this strengthening that starts to happen, which is what I believe he says is comfort. There's this this inner uh, there's this inner muscle strengthening us to be able to engage in life very differently and encounter pain and not avoid it. Um, but what follows that then is the blessed are the meek, um, for they will inherit the earth, and the meek are those that uh, that this this tenderizing happens after one goes through the the grieving process that they return to this this the state of vulnerability the vulnerability that's intrinsic to us it's it's at the at the onset of of birth at the onset of our the birth of our own personal humanity in the world and so we return to this place of vulnerability and it is the beginnings of of reorienting us, grounding us, connecting us back to ourselves, back to life in a way. So, um, so, so that's how I phrase how I see um, so far this experience, and that's how I see this. Um, what Jesus means in this meekness is is that there's this softening that happens and this opening, this malleability. Um, so then that leads me to the next stint, the next stage, which he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And man, I got to tell you, this was, so I went back as I was reading, um, I was reading my uh, my first writing on this, my first draft uh, that I had written back in this cabin back in March as I explored um, many of these during that time. And I looked back and I started reading, I'm like, I don't like this at all. So before I did this podcast for a couple hours, I was rewriting this and man, I am really satisfied with this writing. So I'm, I'm excited to share this and, and process. This is a fun one for me. So, um, so let me start off with this. When I, uh, when I began dating, um, in, in the recent years, which which uh, began after a seven-and-a-half-year hiatus, uh, a relationship I had, I just didn't date. I discovered, really, when I entered in the world of dating, just how much of a small fish I was in this large, vast ocean and how much I've untraveled. I, I realized how naive I was, you know. And, I you know, I lived years kind of sustaining myself off the hope and fantasy that a partner would just magically show up. I wouldn't have to do any work. She would just somehow come into the world and and appear. But this illusion experienced a rupturing eventually by this reality that, that finding someone requires me to go out and do the footwork. I needed to start dating. And what also partnered or colluded with this rupture was that I also had this visceral hunger surfacing in me to to connect in a in a romantic relationship to find that connection i wanted that so it wasn't just the reality that i got to do the work um but there was also this um this intrinsic experiential yearning going on in me and what i discovered is i as i began to interact with women online mostly it was like online um but also presently in, in, in the presence of them too, is I found how quickly, uh, I I found out quickly how intense my hunger was. Um, and I, and I found out that it was, it was so intense and overpowering that it would influence the way uh, I engaged. I wanted it so badly and I was so hungry to feel this connection in a romantic, intimate way that, um, that you could, f- women could experience that pressure, that desperation in me. And so they, they, they could feel it infused in the conversation and how upset I would get if they wouldn't respond or whatnot. Um, and my, my last girlfriend, she could certainly experience that for me, but a lot of that was coming out from the distance, but, but also from my own fear of loss. Um, and, and so Anyway, and so, um, it was infused, get infused in these conversations. And I had, and, and, and and I have my, my, my fair share of, of sudden disappearances from women. (laughs) They would just stop talking to me. Um, or they would say, oh yeah, well maybe we should get together. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. And then I would never hear anything back. And I knew I'm like, damn it. I get it. They felt it. They felt, they felt this desperation. Like it wasn't just free and genuine and solid in myself and, and, and witty. And, you know, I, they could feel the neediness come through it. So, um, and then a couple of relationships that I was actually in in the last several years, you know, the form were, were, um, they were often kind of driven by this hunger, you know, to find love, to experience love and the fear of also losing it. And it infected and obstructed my ability to be authentic with them. Not, I mean, I was genuine at times, but but um, but inconsistently. And um, you know, and and so and so, what which, which would have been naturally attractive uh, to to be kind of centered in myself, grounded in myself, and and responding out of that, but there was such a fear of losing the person and wanting to hold on to it, which again is an illusion, um, thinking that I had the woman, possessed her, when I didn't, Um, that there was this, uh, it it highly affected um, and polluted my ability to just connect on an authentic, genuine level. Um, But also, this consuming and overpowering hunger, it also convoluted my discernment and my intuition on whether I really wanted to be with this person or really I wanted to continue engaging with them, um, you know, and, and, and invest in this relationship um, on an intimate and developing level. So basically, um, in other words, I would kind of take any woman who was drawn to me that I was attracted to in a way, blind to any of the toxicities of the nature of the relationship or coming from them or myself or whatnot that would really, like, obviously cause problems in the future. I didn't want to see it. Um, but eventually, you know, these relationships ended, and, and ended quite painfully. But what was, what I... Uh, what I appreciate, actually, what I discovered is that out of this painful loss and dissatisfaction, it really what arose from this, what unearthed from this, was a greater understanding of the kind of partner and the kind of relationship I actually wanted. And the kind of way I actually wanted to engage with someone. So, not just a partner, but the way I wanted to engage. Who I wanted to be in a relationship. And so, Although this, this primal hunger would dull my senses, would dull my awareness of this at the time in the relationships, even though I would have these emotional reactions and I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to them or I wouldn't respond genuinely out of them. Um, but, but this, this painful aftermath that happened as a result of the relationship ending, it created an expansion in my consciousness, this, this this conscious realm in myself, my awareness. And having experienced this widening, it began, you know, I began to then pick up signals that were often lost in the overpowering cravings. And these signals that communicated whether I wanted to continue or what felt off, right? And, and, um, and so it was this, it was this tag team, this buddy system, this partnership of fu- the fundamental hunger and, and the pain that drew me into a, really a deeper knowing of myself and what was personally satisfying. And so really, I began to develop the sense of what I wanted, and it engendered me to seek out relationships in, in a more, and has engendered me to seek out relationships in a more um, fine-tuned way. And also having endured the excruciating hurt, it also strengthened me to be able to um, to take risk, you know, and not avoid the hurt. Um, it's not that I become callous; it just means that I can I can handle the hurt. I can go through the pain um, of losing someone, and 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 because of that, it strengthened this ability to show up more genuinely, to interact more authentically when connecting, even at the risk of loss. So then, that then brings me all that, all that backstory, that personal backstory brings me into this next statement that Jesus makes where he talks about one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, and there's this guarantee, this promise, right? He says, they will be satisfied. There's this guarantee that they will. And so, so this statement comes next in line, right, after, um, after the self returns to this meek state to this tender, vulnerable state. And so um, and, and so again, after, after we've been emptied, after someone's been empty of the artificial substances that were once heavily relied on to quell the primal cravings inside. And when one returns back to the state of vulnerability, there's instinctual hunger arises in us. It's this hunger that's birthed out of this purging process, this grieving process. It's a process, it's a grieving process that that liberates us from an enslaved attachment to the objects we devoted, we once devoted our whole selves to in the hopes that it would provide satisfaction, that it would and certainty, that it would cure this loneliness inside. These objects again—you name it: diets, substances, looks or appearance, sex, children, you know, lovers, whatever, religion, work, charity. Um, but then again, we encounter these objects. Uh, we begin to sense that they're 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 not they're not really what we thought they were. They're not really going to do the job, and this discontentment ruptures our illusions, and and then this deep grief sets in. And it's an emotional experience right? that detaches us from the illusory attachments. And so in our commitment to feeling the pain of what we believed would fill the lack and the loneliness within, we move into a fundamental state of vulnerability. And I would say then we return to our nakedness. And as we've returned, then this intrinsic hunger comes forth. And in fact, it's a hunger that's always been in us. But it's often been kind of unconsciously fueled. We haven't been aware of it. It just drives us. It compels us. But we've the, the light isn't on in terms of understanding what the hell is going on in us and what it is that we're seeking out. What is it that we want? But nonetheless, it, it's, it's this hunger that unconsciously compels us to find something in the external world. As that quote unquote uh, surrogate parent, that would repair this loneliness and this disconnect that we feel at a core level. And this loneliness, I would say, again, as I've said in the past, this loneliness is this presence of having not been guided well from our sources in a connected, safe, and loving way to help us find our own selves, which is essential. For then, completely separating from our parents, finding you know finding who we are, being able to connect in relationships and 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 have uh, successful not success well successfully intimate, evolving, engaging, deeply connected relationships. We we need that first with our parents that help us help us learn to connect to ourselves and to find ourselves so we can engage in life in joy and fullness. But now this hunger that we experience is now beginning to interact with an evolving consciousness. We're starting to wake up. We're starting to see. We're interacting with it. We're moving out of it, but we're, uh, we're moving from, from, from like out of it, like it's compelling us. but um, But now we're, we have more insight into what's going on. We can learn from it. We can learn from the, dissatisfying experiences but before this hunger operated impulsively without without the help of awareness and it was often ambushed then that, by shame and judgment which would only kind of create and entrench us in this in more of these clandestine uh, secretive compulsive actions this awareness hasn't really been in existence, has been non-operational because we didn't develop this often due to the lack of guidance from our caregivers who are our sources of consciousness during our formative years. And instead, we end up ingesting their their shaming, their judgment, their dismissiveness, their absent responses in reaction to our behaviors. And so we we end up internalizing this, absorbing it, And so these are the experiences I'm talking about that that create this disconnection that then we internalize and consequently we then develop a detachment of our own selves. And then we move on and we grow up in life and this, this disconnect continues on and then it leaves us confounded at times over our own reactions. Like we don't know why the hell we did something. It clouds any awareness that would help us deepen and expand an understanding of our inner worlds and what it is that we're looking for. But as I said, this hunger is—it's uh, been in existence our whole life. It's an energy. I like to phrase it as it's—it's it's an energy that moves us to reconnect to ourselves and feel at peace within. I mean, that's—that's that's why. That's why we're seeking out there. That's why we keep attaching to objects, because we're looking to feel a peace within. And it is. It's this energy that drives us to find that. It, it, it operates. It's this kind of energy that operates in addictions, relentlessly compelling the individual to, keep, to consume substances, whatever that is, quote-unquote substances, in, in ever-increasing amounts so they can achieve a sense of harmony within them, their one, their own self. But because too they they lack an inner strength to navigate and feel through the disappointments in life, right? Like a loss of job or loss of love or a breakup, a parent dying, something like that. That that quickly they turn back to these surrogate like substances, these attachment like substances. They can't navigate. They don't have the inner strength. To process this, to feel through this, to engage with this. And so that reflexively return to something external, because they weren't taught how to engage with the pains, the various pains of life that come when we participate in life itself. And so we turn to something external, often in secret. And over and over, they engage in this to recalibrate the self back to a state of tranquility, which is transient. It lasts for such a short time and then they're on the path again to find more that's what I see addiction is is it's a hunger to feel a a connect with a connected state inside themselves to feel connected inside themselves or sometimes we this 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 deep existential hunger we feel inside of ourselves we project responsibility onto others that we're convinced that they're the antidote to a personal feeling of satiation. We manipulate or we coerce or we rage against them, you know, beating our heads against the wall, telling them, shaking at them, metaphorically, maybe sometimes literally, to engage with us in ways that quiet this inner craving, that 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 uh, in consume this loneliness and end it. So, like... You know, like my personal example, right, that I shared at the beginning is that we'll attach to anyone to have some kind of connection with in the hopes that they're going to settle the pangs. That's why sometimes we end up in relationships that mirror our parents because we're, we're working out something. We're trying to, to restore something in us, we're trying to get back what was lost. We're in the hopes that that person will, will fulfill something in us, but we just keep repeating the patterns. And also, you know, exterior beauty can be such a powerful stimulant and intoxicant in a way, but that often seduces and convinces us that it, it's gonna provide the remedy to our to our inner loneliness. I I remember like there'd be moments where I would see, you know, incredibly, you know, beautiful woman, women and something would just arouse in me and I and I would you know, and I'd be consumed with fantasy and hopes that, man, they'll you know they'll fulfill, they'll satisfy something in me, they'll end this you know this this deep loneliness. Um. But the way I like to to reframe this hunger, even with all that said, is that it's the surging energy to feel alive to feel connected and at peace within internally the distortion though that we develop is that we think this hunger can be satisfied through external sources and it's really it, it, as i've explained it's a distortion that we th- uh, it, it's a distortion that begins at an unconscious level early in our life where we're left now dependent on others for fulfillment, because our parents, again, it, 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 this is so important. This is what I've under, come to understand, is that our parents are the ones that help us separate from them. And so when that doesn't happen, and there's these hanging threads, and there's this residue, or it's not, it, it doesn't happen at all, this, this support and differentiating, it leaves us then dependent on them, which then leaves us dependent on others for fulfillment. But actually, it's still this hunger that lives in us is a, is very hunger that causes us to seek and to find our own selves, differentiated from others, made up of our own personal expressions, enjoyments, and passions. It's a hunger and thirst that's a fuel that compels us to go on a journey of self-discovery, and and so in the Greek, um, as in, in this phrasing that Jesus talks about in the wording he uses, that in the Greek, this hunger and thirst it refers to this eager desire, a desire that comes from within, activating us to find refreshment, to find nourishment. But it's also really cool because it's also equated. With anger or fury. So, we're talking about anger and because there's been such a distortion around anger that anger, this really is this it's good, it's righteous. The reason why it comes up in us, even if we, if we uh, express it in shitty ways and destructive ways, the, the, the emotion itself is good, it's righteous. It's something that burns viscerally inside in desire to feel at peace internally. So often, this anger, I think, has been so, uh, so, it's been greatly judged and misdirected. And we turn it inward on ourselves because we weren't invited or given permission to express it to the real sources. And we turn it inward. Or we end up turning it the wrong source, which again is because we were never able to actually express it to those we were angry at, to those that we were wronged by. Um, so, um, but, but when we become aware of what our anger really means, that it's actually connected to love and longing, it's not diametrically opposed. We keep thinking that, or it's, it's sometimes communicated that that rage, hate, anger, that it's in opposition, but actually it's not. It's actually express the expression of this missing love, this missing connection, this longing for it. And when we can engage with it more and we take the distortion, the stigma out of it, we fear it less and we can engage with it more. And that this anger, then, it compels us to confront the sources of wounding. But it also unearths these primal yearnings fused to ourselves, inherent to our true selves that stir within us. And then this righteousness word which is so cool. I love it. Um, this this righteousness that Jesus talks about. In the Greek, it means to find congruence. It's like a congruence or a, a harmonizing with ourselves. But also, what's re- what I really love about this is that it can also be read to align with the state of who we ought to be. Now, this is this is a. Um, this is a fucking amazing statement here. This is incredible. I, 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 when I did some research on this, it just it just aligned with what I've been writing on and what I've been discovering in my own personal life, my own, my own experience. And so this righteousness is, is so, it's aligned with ourself. It's recalibrating back to ourselves. It's finding us. It's discovering who we're always meant to be. This is what this hunger is about. Now, it's it. I've I've heard it before, and it it, you know one can interpret and read this statement as you know this hunger and thirst for righteousness is something global. It's universal. It's to be that the world uh, um, is restored to this right way of being, and that may be true, but actually this aligns more with these previous statements and this message of actually. Uh, going on a personal inner journey. It's really about finding our individual selves. This is where change happens. That when we bring, it's this kind of change that then we we bring into the world that we share with others. But again, it, it starts with this personal odyssey of rupturing fusion with the external world, severing ourselves from from futile efforts to satisfy the desires of others so we can feel connected. We can feel okay. We can feel this tranquility inside. And it also requires us leaving our own tribes. It's when when Jesus says, I didn't come, or how did he start? I don't remember how he started off, but he said, I came to bring a sword. I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. It's an interesting statement, but what he's talking about is he's talking about creating divisions within tribes, breaking up fusion, because our tendency is we'll gravitate towards people who believe the same thing, who speak the same language, who wear the same clothes, who have the same ideals, so on and so forth. Thus, we continue with these this divisive, tribalistic uh, positioning in life. And what Jesus does is he comes and he severs this. He challenges this. He ruptures this. He creates fault lines. And so that's what happens is when we begin to listen to this voice inside, this stirring inside to go and seek, it pulls us away from our tribe. And it creates tension and creates division. Even what I'm going through right now in my life, which, again, I, I will hopefully I'll share at the end of this whole series, is that this change that I'm eventually going to make is already causing tension. In my family, because I've been entrenched in this way of living, in this way of connecting for a long time. And the stirring is is exciting and it's scary as shit. And it's 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 creating all kinds of anxiety in a way in my family. And some, you know, and some pretty intense fights. But um, and so, so that's what happens, and, and when we or move, there's this movement, this merging into ourselves. This is this is what's going to occur, which I will then. Well, Jesus actually talks about a few uh, stages down the road, which I'll go into. But so, anyway, it's essential then that we connect to this long existing hunger, because that. All this, the the antidote that we kept looking for in the external world, this hunger is actually the antidote that moves us to discover true satisfaction that can only exist in an alignment with ourselves. But what the paradox is that is that we discover ourselves as we go out into the world and we experience it. We encounter disappointments. We encounter frustrations. We encounter heartbreak. It's then that in that pain, we also discover more profoundly with greater with greater awareness, who we are, what we want, it's this interesting dynamic that it moves from. Uh, I know it might be hard to understand, and I, I'm trying to process this myself. But it it it, it shifts us out of this penchant to uh, to consume the world so we can feel satisfied, but instead moves us in a way to seek ourselves, but through the external world to find peace inside this alignment within ourselves this harmonizing within ourselves but again that happens in the context of interacting with the world around us and those moments of dissatisfaction are profound because they are communicating something that this isn't it this isn't what i want this isn't who i am you know why why, you know, someone might go to a school and realize this isn't for me, or they might go that, that we have to go and experience to discover us, to discover our passions, to discover what our message is. That's what this journey is about. That's what this hunger is about. That's the antidote to finding who we are. So, <sighs> I love talking about this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I feel pretty satisfied with that. And I'm sure this is not the end of me unraveling all these little messages and 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 elements here. But for now, I am ending this segment, and I will talk to you next time for the next uh, the next stage of blessing. All right, on that note, take care.